Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. to introduce our guest speaker tonight, Pastor David Livingston. Uh, as I mentioned before, David is a great friend of ours and a legend in C3 Church globally, I'm telling you. Um, not to steal any of his thunder, but uh, David is from Kitgum in the north of Uganda, where you would have heard Kony 2012 and the horrible things that have gone on with the LRA, and uh, that's David's area. That's where he grew up and you're going to hear a bit of his story about that and you're going to hear, uh, you know, I've asked him to be real. Is that alright? Because it can be a little bit gruesome at times because it's not nice stuff but uh, I think it's good for us to just realise what's going on and what, you know, what's going on and um, David, what was it? It was about 13 years ago you were at Oxford Falls uh, visiting Australia hadn't started a church yet, you're almost out the door, but Pastor Phil Pringle said, a new son, you're going back to Kidgum to plant a church, a C3 church, he said, and so David planted the first C3 church in Africa uh, in the year 2001, now we have 63 churches in Eastern Africa, we have two in Northern Africa, we have around 15 in Southern Africa, and uh, this guy planted the first one in the year 2001 so uh he's a good guy and a real legend so you're gonna hear a little bit of that story but why don't we make you feel really welcome here at c3 tagra and welcome him up Wow, I enjoy that worship. Thank you, Jimmy. That was uh, wonderful. Your voice just pierced through the darkness. That was beautiful. Appreciate that. And uh, Pastor Phil, I'm very grateful for having allowed me to come back in your church here again. And we're brothers in the Lord, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity. And um, I came with my wife, Catherine, but... Uh, our little girl, she's not quite used to the Australian order of the day of uh, having your own seat and belt of him in the car. So she was not happy. And I thought, well, let them relax there. I can go to Tagara and have a wonderful time with my friends there. Uh, I'm by the name David Livingstone Giacometti. I, a lot of miracles that God has done in my life. And one of them is what I'm going to share with you this evening. You know, I don't know if there is a 17-year-old boy here, but it was around about that time when I got caught up in the happening of life in northern Uganda. Because at least in Uganda, I mean, I don't know about other parts of Africa, but Uganda has always had these episodes of a transition which has never been a smooth one from 
Milton Obote to Idi Amin, and I think only through Idi Amin that when I say Uganda, and then people realize, oh, Idi Amin, so they see the two together. But yes, Idi Amin is long gone, and now we have uh, President Museveni, who is the leader. He was a rebel in the bush, and he overthrew the other government. Now he's the leader, and he doesn't want to leave. So he want to continue being the leader, as maybe like Gaddafi or others in the other countries. But nevertheless, there was this particular place in northern Uganda where the war broke out in a place called Kitgum. And um, I was just a school-going age. The rebel came and surrounded our school. And they said, from today onward, we don't want to see you coming back to school. And uh, I mean, we do not understand why they would tell us not to come to school. So some of us asked that, why are you stopping us from coming to school? They said, well, if you want to find out, you bring your saucepans and whatever else, cutleries, because you're going to kill your teacher and eat from this school. So you realize that we are serious. So once we got that message, we thought, okay, these guys are not joking around here. We grabbed some books and we made our way back home. Just before we could reach home, we hear the bullets crisscrossing, the bombardment happening. And reaching home, we could hear the bullet were actually passing over our homes. So it was very difficult and risky. So we ran away from home far, far into the jungle, hoping that this war would come to an end soon so we can come back. But by the time we got in the jungle, we realized this war was not coming to an end anytime soon. And we ran out of food. We didn't have blanket or anything to keep us warm in the jungle. And um, we realized this is serious. So we managed to make our way into town. But in town, there was no humanitarian. There was no World Food Program or any agencies. And um, we felt there was need for us to go back home to get some of our food items that we had left. So we managed to sneak and make our way back home. When we arrived home, we found that our village was surrounded by these rebels. And then they said, why are you here? We told you, this is now our territory. All the food you've left behind is our food. It's not yours. And why are you taking this food? Are you taking food to the soldiers? We said, no, we have our siblings who need some food as well. And they said, no, we don't believe you. You're taking food to the soldiers in town. So uh, two of the girls who were around, I said, look, please allow us to take our food. They say, who else want to go? And another other lady said, oh, we want to take food back to our siblings in town. And they shot those girls right before us, dead there. And they say, anybody else want to go into town? We realized this is getting serious. So we said, no, whatever you tell us to do, we shall do. While they were still, you know, um, taking control over us and trying to intimidate us and so on, we could hear the bullet crisscrossing coming towards us. So these were the rebel and the government soldiers were advancing to what were the rebels are. And so they just asked us to grab whatever loots and cooks. They were cooking things and we carried a hot potatoes, you know, and, and hot boiled thing on our head and soup was spilling and burning our back, they say, if you drop that, I drop your life with it. So you can imagine a complete change of life for us, young as we were, in fear, in brutalities. And now they go from village to village, and they would abduct any kid from nine years old, 12 years old, 13 years old, girl or boy. They actually even make sure you hack somebody by using a machete, kill them 
so that you have no reason for coming back because now you realize you've made to kill your own sibling, you've made to kill your own father, and you just can't come back home. And so it takes away that sense of humanity out of your head. You're just like dehumanized. You're just doing anything that they tell you to do because you're afraid of your life. And so for six months of that, having lived with this rebel in the jungle, sometime you go with no food for quite a long even for a week, you walk distant that you have never could imagine that a, a child of uh, nine years old would walk. You can crisscross the, the country of northern Uganda going into the border of Sudan. Within a day, you would have walked like 120 kilometers. And you're like, how is that possible? Because you walk from morning until another morning throughout the night. You don't sleep. You know? And the risks were also there because when they abduct people, they make sure they tie rope, a long chain of you people who have been abducted. And so when the government uh, helicopter comes, they cannot discriminate. I mean, they don't know who is who, who is the rebel and who has been abducted. And the process of time, quite a number of children were killed by the helicopters, bombarded and literally just obliterated into pieces. And it when you escape, you just really thank God. At least for me, I thank God because I come from an Anglican background because my grandfather was a catechist. So he would send me every Sunday to ring the bell for people to come to church. So I had a sense of God thing in me when I was young. And I pray under my breath that God, how long am I going to suffer like this? Because I have seen unimaginable suffering human being can cause another human being. You know? So, the things about war that probably many of you in Australia don't know because you only watch it probably on the news or on television or something like movies, but war is such a terrible, terrible thing. Because from my experience, having lived in northern Uganda and systematically watched how people are subjected into some dehumanizing situation. While we were abducted in the bush suffering there, the government made a decree so that everybody should go into internally displaced persons camps. They call it IDPs. And there you're living in a place that not protected. And the rebel had come and raided that camp and abducted more people from the camp than they could have abducted from their own individual homes. While you're in the camps, your cows are taken away, your goats are gone, your chicken are eaten, you have nothing left at home. Then after 15 years of that in the IDP camp, the government come and say, oh, war is over. Now you go back home. When you're going back home, what is left at home? There's absolutely nothing. There is nothing, just a piece of land. And that is also a place where you realize you're not faced with the reality of your losses. You're a woman, five of your children are abducted, two are killed, including your husband. And you're going home minus them. And you realize you can't go back and start all over again. And the trauma of war is very much at large in northern Uganda.
That's the place where I come from. I used to work with a lady. She's an Australian woman. She's passed away uh, last year, Irene Gleason, who was a very dedicated woman in serving in northern Uganda, rescuing children, giving them education, and feeding them. I worked with them for 14 years, and that is how I came to know Christian City Church in Oxford Falls, because that was her home church. And that is also how I became a pioneer of Christian City Church in Uganda. So I think I've jumped ahead of myself just to give you a background a little bit on that. But if I could recapture the six months of struggling in the jungle of northern Uganda has created so much anger, bitterness, hatred in my life. Because I had a dream too as a young man growing up. I had a desire to do something for myself, to go and do my own study, become whatever God had prepared me to become fully. Then, of course, that was my dream. But sometime, even so, in your own dream, when you've been adjusted elsewhere, God is not out of it. God is still in it very much so. Because when the rebels started disagreeing among themselves, I managed to escape. We ran away with bullet crisscrossing. When they could see us running, they wanted to shoot us down. But thank God, no one bullet ever caught me in all the six months in the jungle. When I escaped, I came into Kikum town and I reported to the government. We said, look, we have just escaped from the rebel. They have abducted us from such and such a place and such and such a date. And they looked at us and said, we don't believe you. We think that you have been sent to spy in on us. This is a government. And we felt hopeless. How could we be sent to spy in you when we've just escaped from so many bullets crisscrossing, they're trying to kill us. And they put us in prison. That was in 1987. Not many of us heard much about human rights or anything. The treatment we have received while we were in prison, I felt like the rebels were much better off. Because we slept in a cold cement. We have no food. Even when they cook food, they have no plates. They would pour food in your hand. You have to put your shirt and put food in. You get beaten. We were so thin. You know, we could hardly bathe. My hair was growing like a dreadlock. And my hair, I looked like a madman, you know, at the age of 17. I, I lost hope because I thought that I'd escaped from the rebel. I would find hope and rest in the government. And that was worse. We were like prisoners of war in the country. This particular time, they loaded us at the back of a big Mack truck and they covered the truck top with the canopy in the hot day. You can imagine how painful, difficult, even breathing alone inside that truck. And they transported us to the railway station waiting for the train. Those days, there was still some train movement happening. Just as we were waiting there, of course, inquisitively, I started walking along the cart of the train cross over the road and went to the police barrack because I had one of my uncle was a policeman there and I'd ask him if he could get me something warm to wear. As I was asking around about in the barracks police barrack people were looking at me like what's wrong with you? 
because I have this dreadlock on my head and my backside was hanging out and they thought I was crazy. But a particular gentleman took a keen interest in me and he started asking, say, young man, what's wrong with you? I said, there's nothing wrong. So where are you from? I say, we are just waiting for the train from the, uh, there. We're going to this particular place in Kivurara, which is in the western part of the country. He said, what? I said, yeah, that's where I said, get inside. So when I got inside the house, he said, hey, wh wh what are you doing here? I said, I'm looking for my uncle. I had that down there. It's very cold. I needed something to keep me warm when I go down there. He realized where I was going. Now he understood because he heard about the prisoners of war being taken down to Kiburara. So he said, stay inside. Please don't bring me trouble. That was like three in the afternoon. I stayed inside his house until seven in the evening when it was dark. Then he walked me out of the police barrack all the way until when he took me to my uncle. That's when I started a new life all over again. And uh, I started going back to school to learn, to read, and write. This was a Christian school called Ambassador of Hope. When I got there, I realized it was a Christian school. The teacher started asking me, say, oh, David, we heard your story. We think if you give your life to God, God will take care of you. God will look after you. You know, sometimes it's easy to think that God has forgotten you. I felt like that. I said, surely, if this God was real, why would he let me go through that? Why would he let me persevere through all this difficult, this pain, this suffering? When I said in the prison was hard, the rebel was better off because people die next to you. You wake up in the morning, you're shaking this and like, wake up, wake up, and you realize, cold, dead. There's no more life in him. Sometimes you feel like, it would have been rather be you to die than for you to be left. Because you feel like those who have died, they have rested from the pain of life. I explained myself to the teachers. I said, look, I'm, I don't think I'm ready for your God as yet. No, I have to get it right here before I can invite this God into my life. He has to answer a few questions before I can give him the right into my life. That was my attitude. But you know, God is funny. I say this because he's not in a hurry. Sometimes he just whispers something. Say, do you remember in such and such a place when you prayed? And I made you walk through that. Remember when you prayed and no bullet should touch you and no bullet touched you? Just, just remember when, when you were going to sleep in that prison, hungry for five days, and you pray, God, help me make it one more night something better tomorrow. Those memories begin to happen. And then I realize, well, how can I do without this God? It was him who has walked me through all this. There are many who died. That could have been me as well. But he's walked me through that. So in 1988, in um, April, 10 o'clock in the morning in the classroom, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And something happened, unexplainable. It's like this heat, like this glow all over me, even though there was no light or anything. I was smiling, I was happy, I was full of joy. My world was transformed. And I'm like, wow, this is real. I went home smiling and happy. And my auntie thought I was crazy because something unusual. 
She was not used to that smiling part of me. And say, what, what happened to you? I said, well, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, what? I said, yes, that's what I did. I gave my life to Jesus. Say, in this house, we only have one religion. We don't want any more religion. One is enough. I said, but I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she just said, look, you don't fit in this family anymore. She threw me out. And I thought, oh God, I thought my life was getting better. Now my life is gone completely negative all over again. I was so heartbroken. The war was going on at home. I have no family in the city. And I wanted to just commit suicide and die right there. But you know, in all this, God was with me. I went to school. I explained to the teachers. I say, I'm fed up. If you have transport, give me money. Let me go back to the rebel in the jungle. Because I was much treated better there than in my own family. They could see the pain, the anger, the hurt in my life. They said, David, that is not the best way for you. Let us find a place for you to stay. So, a few days later, somebody drive into school, a little old lady by the name Judith Giacometti. And she was the mother of one of the Christian City Church pastors in Hobart. This is Lucas Giacometti. And she has been a mission field in Uganda for since 1985. And she's still there to this very day. So this little lady comes and says, Oh, David, I heard about you. Come, I'll take you home to stay with me. So, yes, I've accepted that. I went to stay with her. My first time to test civilization. And when I was there, and uh, she would, you know, make sure I bathe twice a day. And... Uh, you know, she teach me how to sit on the table and how to hold knives and forks. And, um, you know, uh, she would ask me to go and bathe the dogs. I said, bathe the dog in Africa? Honestly, we don't bathe our dogs. You know, and, um, and uh, when she's talking to me in Africa, you don't look at your elders by eyeballs to eyeballs. I would look down and make sure I listen to what she say. Are you despising me? You're not looking at me. Look at my eyeballs as I talk to you. And I'm like, I look at her eyeballs and I smile because it looked weird. It's not naturally what I'm used to. And um, oh, believe me, I mean, it's, it's like a drama, you know. And, and she said, what are you smirking about? Are you despising? I say, no, I'm not. I didn't know what to, how to tell her because when your elder speak, you don't speak back, you know, you listen. And so my world was confused. I have a, a nice bed to sleep on. I have food to eat. I have to bathe twice in a day. I used not to bathe even for a week in the, in the jungle. You know, even in the prison, I used not to bathe. But now she make me wash eh? and, and she inspect my bed every day. I used not to have a bed. She like, did you make your bed? I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a hard life. Eh? <laughs> that, you know, that was me. So, uh, later on, I learned. This, this, this is where I am saying God is amazing. And it's funny sometimes too. Because I sit on the table. I used to, you know, use my finger, eat and lick my finger. And whatever tastes good, I lick it all out of my fingers. It's like, that's, that's, that's terrible. That's, you, don't, you don't lick your finger. In this house, you use knives and forks. 
so i didn't know how to hold knives and forks and you know sometimes i sit on the table held my elbows and you know banging the table. what are you doing you know and i i didn't know whether i should put my elbow or not put my elbow or put my hand under the table like you know sitting there and that was her she was on her own she has her own life to live but now i come into her world and she has to teach me how to live a life little did i know what god was preparing me for i had no idea then i was here in christian city church i had no idea that lucas was one of christian city church pastor see i had no idea that i was going to end up here in uh, oxford folk christian city church so now the whole thing turn around and like did you know my son lucas was the pastor of christian city church i had no idea so me and lucas we a white brother a black brother mom is in africa and we are there together i've lived with her for four and a half years she's taught me the best of what you see of me today so brothers friends and families the story of my life is long if i'm to go here with it for a very long time you fall asleep it's one of those story that one day i hope i can write a book about but i'm going back to the god factor because i realize i was not alone in that feeling in that feeling that god has forgotten you in that feeling that maybe he doesn't care anymore there is a place in our life where by sometime we feel like he has forgotten us we feel like we're doing it all alone we feel like he loved us when we were young but now that we are older he has forgotten about us we make mistake we get angry we carry bitterness along in our lives because maybe that's the only thing that make us feel like we are holding on to something and it's not worth holding on to it as long as you know that god has done something in your life there's certain thing you must let it go you have to learn to love you have to learn to forgive because i had a dream too as i was growing up but that dream was destroyed by the rebel, by the rebel that dream was taken away from me by wall in northern uganda but i realized there are scriptures in the bible where they say everything turn around for those who love God. He works things out for the glory of his name. I've discovered that that he has never forgotten me in the middle of the night walking 120 kilometers day and night. God was with me because had he not been with me how else would I have walked that kind of journey which on an ordinary day I never even make 10 to 20 kilometers and yet 120 kilometers God made me go through. So brethren I don't know your life. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've gone through. Today is Easter. I was going to preach about Easter, but God asked me to tell my story. And I want to end with this scripture. <clears throat> When Jesus was on the cross, in spite of all the things that was done to him, the beautiful promises that I like to read Jesus did not take bitterness to the grave. He did not take anger. 
in Luke chapter 23, if you will, quickly, in verse 34, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Where was he? He was in a place where forgiveness seemed very irrelevant. Where forgiveness felt like it was the last thing. Or never. He was in a place of pain. A place of suffering. A place he does not deserve to be. But what came out of his heart? His father forgave them. But they do not know what they're doing. And friends, from that point of that forgiveness is where I can still stand here today. I did not deserve it. Nothing I could do to deserve that forgiveness. Because he is an innocent man, the son of God, came into our world to serve, to love, to heal, to bind demons and to release us and set us free, to give us a life and a future. But what we did unto him, you don't deserve this. But yet that was the only thing that was in his mind before he died. He said, Father, receive that forgiveness. I accept that forgiveness. And it's that forgiveness that set me free from guilt, from sin, from self-righteousness, from judgment. That forgiveness. The very thing he has forgiven us is the thing we never did. We hold against each other, anger, bitterness. We, we, hold, we hold on to it because we feel like we have power when we have it. But forgiveness is much more powerful than anything we could ever hang on to. It set us free. It's what set me free. As I said, I gave my life to the Lord in 1988. To this very day, I still stand here because what he did to me. Had he not forgiven me, I would not be here today. I would not stand here. He's forgiven me. He loved me. He set me free. And that same forgiveness, he can forgive you. He can forgive anybody, any sin, any crime, any bitterness, anything you're hanging on to. It is not worthwhile hanging on to, my friend. Because his forgiveness and his love is everything. Today we celebrate Easter because he's resurrected. Had he not forgiven, I don't think he would have resurrected because he would feel incomplete. He had to go to the grave clean and come out much more powerful, much more stronger. In Matthew 20, 20, 20 28, sorry, I mixed up the scripture. Matthew 28, if you will, quickly. 
8 from verse 16 where it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authorities in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Can we stand up on our feet, please? Things do change. Financial situation changes. Health change. Environment change. Even marriages changes. Even your children, they grow up and they leave you. Friends might forsake you. But there is a man here who promise. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's a promise that can never be broken, can never be changed. Nothing will ever change. Because this is a man who faced the cross, who came out on the other side of the cross, and is forever going to be with you until the very end of the age. Even death cannot separate him from you. Fear cannot separate him from you. Once you made his disciples, once you become his child, you have the right into his kingdom. He has the right into your life forever. So while you're here, I've given you my background, what I went through and why I'm still here. I've given him the right into my life. Things that seem to be impossible, things has been very difficult. He has made them possible. And he'll never leave me. And nor shall I. As you close your eyes, friends, I don't know the story of your life. At least you know a little bit now about my life. But Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, whom today we celebrate his resurrection to remind us when things look dead around you, when things look dead in your life, when Christ is in your life, there is a life. There is a resurrection. There is a new beginning. There is a transition. There is a new life infused in your world. So I ask you tonight, maybe you're new, maybe you're a visitor, Maybe things in your life has been worse.
hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Faith to live like Christ for all our